I love Jesus, and I left the Catholic Church seeking to go deeper with God. But this man's book, Crossing the Tiber, brought me roaring back to the Catholic faith. Aloha. From the sandy beaches of Hawaii comes a wave of God's love and the challenge to go deeper. Paddle out with us and experience the thrills of the radical plan God has for your life. It's Deep Adventure Radio with your adventure guide, Bear Wozniak. Aloha and welcome back to Deep Adventure Radio. I'm your adventure guide, Bear Wozniak. And uh, I want to talk with you today. I want to clear, try to clear something up. You know, there's a heresy that came forth about 500 years ago. And it, a lot of Catholics, even myself, for decades was confused by this teaching of penal substitution, where Martin Luther and uh, the Protestants began to teach most of them, all of them that I know of, that Jesus uh, went to the cross. He came for one reason, and that was to die on the cross. And that his death on the cross, he took on our sins, and uh, the judgment of God was visited upon him uh, uh, on the cross. That he... Uh, uh, he took our sins so that we could be free, and he and he he died on the cross uh, out of the just anger of God, His Father. Nothing could be further from the truth. That had never been taught by the early church, never been taught throughout all the centuries of the church. The church looks at the dignity that God gave mankind and freedom of choice. And we, uh, we fell at the garden and we inherited that fallen nature. Jesus came to lift all humanity back to that original dignity. And he did it by fulfilling all righteousness. You see that at John the Baptist. Baptizing me, he said, Lord, I, I have need to be baptized you, by you. But Jesus said, no. I need to do this in order to fulfill all righteousness. That was his and is his mission. And so when he was baptized in the water, he had no need of being cleansed. The early church fathers teach us that he cleansed that water. And Jesus said, if you want to be saved, you need to be baptized in the spirit and in water. Baptism is not just a symbol. It's a metaphysical reality that we're joined with Christ and we, we are freed from that original sin. It raises us to dignity when we are baptized in the water that he purified. You know, his disciples were baptized by John, but Jesus, I was looking at the scripture the other day and a thought came to me. Jesus baptized his disciples when he washed their feet. He made sure that they were joined with him in his work and raising our dignity uh, metaphysically in the water. You know, uh, in, the, in, in, in Greece, you can walk along even today in that area of the world, uh, in the Mideast, and you can see these stones along the side of the roads. They're called soterio stones. They mean salvation stones. And people would put them there. Maybe a woman would put it there so that she could have a child or maybe someone was sick. And they would kind of pray to that stone. Uh, or an Olympic athlete may put one there. And they were called stones of salvation. That's why Jesus calls, uh, Paul calls Jesus the rock of our salvation, the rock of our soteria. That's why the study of salvation is called soteriology. So we need to get it right in our heads that God loves his son. He never visited punishment on him. He never would. Uh, in his humanity, Jesus certainly felt forsaken and felt the agony of, of, that, of the, um, the pain uh, uh, on the cross, but he never 
uh, he never, because he is God and one in being with the Father, he never was separated from God. In his humanity, he might have felt abandoned uh, there on the cross. But Jesus is not uh, being punished for our sins. Jesus went to the cross as just an ultimate example of his love and righteousness, where he said man can have no greater love than he lay down his life for his friends. Salvation comes... Because Jesus, the, 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 third, the second person of the Trinity, became man. And by fulfilling all righteousness, raised us up, uh, if we join ourselves to him, to be restored to the original dignity that God gave us, to be children of God again. And, his, and everything he did, the Catholic Church teaches us, was part of fulfilling all righteousness. A lot of times in Protestant teaching, it looks like Jesus came just to come, preach a few words, but the only reason he really came was to die on the cross. No, the Catholic Church teaches that even in those quiet years when we know nothing of him, you know, from the age of 13 to the age of 30 about, we don't know anything he was doing other than that he was a carpenter. But those silent years speak volumes, even more than if we knew all that had happened. Because it was in that quietness of the everyday existence of Jesus, where he helped his father as a carpenter, where he went and got water for his mother, where he was obedient, and where in everything he did, you know, brushing the the shavings of the wood off of his legs in the evening, uh, sitting down, being tired, having uh, wine with his parents, uh, just everything that he did did uh, was an act of righteousness, and that is what lifts humanity. It's at the cross where you see his ultimate example of love. It's at the cross where you see the ultimate example of God the Father's love, because he spared nothing uh, to to raise our dignity. But don't think for a minute that on the cross, a vengeful, hateful God is punishing us. Jesus. Atheists look at that as one of the most ridiculous things they can think of. God the Father creates mankind. He gives an ability to sin, you know, to make a choice to sin or not to sin. They sin and they fall. And God says, because of that, you're going to be, you're going to be dead, which of course we lose our, our, our communion with God. So we die spiritually and we eventually die physically. And then he said, but I've got a solution. I'll send my son and I'll kill him instead. That's ridiculous. If you want to meet, greet an atheist, you need to greet him not just with faith, but with reason as well. So learn your faith, Catholics. Go to the Catholic Catechism and look up what it takes to be saved. It takes faith in Jesus, for he alone can save us. It takes abiding in his faith and responding to his grace in works of righteousness, joining ourselves to him at baptism and in the Eucharist and in every moment of our lives, being thankful that God loves his son and loves loves us too and raises us all through his work to the dignity of original innocence. We love you guys. We'll be right back with more Deep Adventure Radio. I'm your adventure guide, Bear Wozniak. This is Deacon Harold Burke-Simmons, and you're listening to Deep Adventure Radio with the one and only Bear Wozniak. Aloha. This is Bear Wozniak from DeepAdventure.com with a warning. Do not tune in to Deep Adventure Radio unless you're ready to step out of the comfort zone of your life and into the danger zone of the adventure that God has for you. Deep Adventure Radio, Saturdays, 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific, on your EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Wax up your boards. Let's paddle in for another wave of Deep Adventure Radio. Aloha and welcome to Deep Adventure Radio. I'm your adventure guide, Bear Wozniak. 
Uh, today we have a returning guest with us, uh, someone who's actually has uh, was there when I was at the crossroads. He was there in my life when uh, I came to a very pivotal time in my life. I'm a, I was born a Catholic, raised a Catholic, uh, experienced the encounter with Jesus Christ through the Catholic Charismatic Movement back in the mid-70s. And then I was under catechized, and I began to drift away, and I went into non-denominational churches, and I kind of fell into some some misunderstandings about what the Catholic Church believes and, and why they believe. In fact, uh, uh, I've heard some Catholics say, if I believed everything that people say we believe, I wouldn't be a Catholic either. But my father, <laughs> my father, who's a deacon in the Catholic Church uh, and, and who loved, loved my love for Jesus, never doubted that, uh, just had had such a desire for me to uh, come back to the church, but he knew that I needed uh, that I just had a faith that was seeking understanding. So he gave me this book, Crossing the Tiber, uh, by our guest today, Stephen Ray. And by the time I got through that book, Stephen, I was, I was, uh, I had come back to the church, Stephen. I was standing in the back just so I could receive the Eucharist, but that was it. By the time I read your book, I was back, fully thrilled, stoked out of my mind to be a Catholic again. And so, Stephen Ray, uh, welcome to our our show today. Thank you. Glad to be here, Baron. I, I didn't know that. Uh, that is new information for me. And uh, you know when you stay up late at night writing books and uh, deprive yourself of other things to do this work, um, it's always nice to know that somebody's reading it out at the other end. I know, isn't it? I, I know. I, like It's so funny to me, Stephen, when I'm out and about and someone tells me they hear my radio show, I think, it, I think it's just like one lone trucker out there listening to it. I don't realize how many people. <laughs> you know, it's impacting, you know. And, but your, your book actually, what I loved about it was you know, I got to tell you, my father had introduced me to the Liturgy of the Hours. And uh-huh. that, that was back in the day when you had to flip pages back and forth. And when I'd get to reading the, er, the, the writings in the back on the Office of Readings, which is mostly a lot of the early church fathers, I would just right. skip that. I just skipped that. Huh. <laughs> like, well, I was missing the whole treasure, you know, that yeah, was waiting yeah. for me there. But then reading your book and how you were so carefully, meticulously kind of approached every single concern that I had, and you approached it with Scripture, and you, and you approached it with how the primitive uh, church thought. I always think of it as that young, roaring lion. And they were, they were, they were sifting and understanding and, and, and learning their, uh, seeking understanding for their faith, too. But to see what their early beliefs and practices were really shocked me. Because I, when I read Justin Martyr and saw that the epiclesis for the, I guess, for the sanctifying of the host and his true belief in transubstantiation, he didn't use that word. Um, it just set me on my heels and I said, I got to come back to the Catholic Church. So your book yep. really helped me because it wasn't just your words, it was scripture and the early church fathers. So, you know, that, it, that, that resonates with a lot of people. In fact, as you look at people who are con- have converted to the Catholic Church, many of them say it's because of the church fathers. And there's a, it's because there's a link in a chain that's, uh, you know, for me as an evangelical, I had Jesus and the New Testament and then really didn't know much about church history, didn't care because it wasn't inspired. Um, Justin Martyr wasn't uh, inspired and he wasn't an apostle, so why should I care what he says? But I cared so much about what my Baptist preacher said today. And I missed that whole segment of history and, and missing link, so to speak. So I had to ask myself, well, okay, so Jesus left his apostles, and then what happened? There wasn't the New Testament for 400 years. I didn't know that. And then those early Christians became an important link. What did the very first Christians teach? What did they practice? They were taught by the apostles. So what did they do? How am I doing what they did? 
And then I find out that there's a huge disconnect. I'm not at all connected to them. I'm doing something very different than what they taught and what they did. That's what forced me to go back and be a Catholic, meaning I went back and did what the very first Christians were doing. Well, yeah, but everybody knows that the King James Bible um, kind of fell out of the sky in the, uh, around the year 300 or so, 400, the same way that Moses you know, received the Ten Commandments, the King James Version. Yeah. Just, uh, King James Version was really 1611, and I used to say, if it's good enough for Paul, it's good enough for me. Right, exactly. And so, <laughs> and so there, you know, i got to tell you, I had the same, it was like, it was like a black box to me, because, I, I mean, I, I knew that at some point, the different books of the New Testament were put together. Uh, but as far as I was concerned, I did not even know there were these writings. I'd heard of apocryphal writings or the things that were, you know, the heretical types of some of the um, unusual gospels and things like that. But I did not know about the writing of these. A lot of these were early saints. Uh, Polycarp was, I believe, the wasn't he the um, disciple of John? And then Justin Martyr, wasn't he Polycarp's disciple? Or any- Yeah, it goes like this. Uh, if you think of it as father, grandfather, so on, Jesus begets... John. In other words, John learned from Jesus. Then Polycarp became the disciple of John and learned from him personally. And then Irenaeus, another great writer of the early century, he became a disciple of of uh, Polycarp. So it's, in a way, it's like Irenaeus is um, the great-grandson of Jesus. And the tradition went from Jesus to John, then Polycarp sat and listen to John. And John told him all the things that Jesus told him. There was no New Testament yet. John hadn't even written the New Testament yet, he, his gospel yet. He was telling Polycarp all the things that he knew and saw and observed and learned from Jesus. And while he's doing that, a young man named Irenaeus was sitting listening. And he said, I still remember listening to Polycarp afterwards. as Polycarp. Poly, he was listening to Polycarp said, I sat and I remembered all the things Polycarp told us that John had told him and all the things that John had heard from Jesus and the sayings. And he said, I didn't write them down with pen and paper, but I remembered them in my heart. They were much stronger in my heart than even if I'd written them down on paper. And I remember seeing him come and go and listen to his teaching. Well, this was all before there was a New Testament collected. So to go back and read the writings of these guys who were talking to the living apostles about what they had heard from Jesus himself, Boy, I mean, I I was so captivated by this. I I gobbled up everything I could find on these early Christians, and I said, why are they teaching and living a different Christianity than I am? I my religion is a different religion than what those guys are doing, and that forced me to become Catholic. You know, it's it's when you look at the way the primitive church church was. I mean, what, the Didache, which I guess they rediscovered only about 150 years ago, but it had yes. been referenced in so many different writings. It was the early church catechism. I mean, wasn't that written before 70 AD or something like that, wasn't it? There, the, some of the um, latest scholarships said it was written in the last half of the second century, as early as 60 AD, which was still during the lifetime of some of the apostles. Um, Peter and, and Paul were not um, killed until 67, so possibly even within their lifetime, but certainly within John the Apostle's lifetime, because he, he didn't die uh, until the end of the first century. So, yes, the Didache, and uh, interestingly enough, the Didache says things like, before you bring your sacrifice, 
sacrifice. I, I was an evangelical. I said, we didn't have, we don't have sacrifices. The sacrifices are gone and over. Jesus was the only sacrifice. So what is this talking about? Bringing sacrifice. When you bring your sacrifice on Sunday morning, make sure that you're right with your brother, that there's no sin. And if it is, go to confession first. Well, what church has confession first before you bring the sacrifice? It's the Catholic Church. So I'm back reading these early things, and um, this is very, very early stuff, right back from the mouth of the apostles and the generation following the apostles. And um, I think that it behooves Christians to read that and to consider where they are. But, you know, I thought Jesus wrote the, the New Testament. Didn't he write the Gospels? And, you know, I, I mean, you think about Socrates never wrote down anything either. But, I mean, you... I mean, didn't well, here's, here's what I do, Bear. When I take my pilgrimage groups, I take six groups a year to the Holy Land. Like, maybe you should come with us sometime. You'd well, love I it. Plan on but, and um, I, I take them there. And when we're on the Mount of Olives and we're talking about Jesus ascending into heaven and the difference between ascending into heaven and being assumed into heaven like Mary was is ascend is something you do with your own power. You got your own rocket packs on. <laughs> Up you go. You know, Jesus ascended by his own power. Mary is not God, so she had to be assumed. She was brought up to heaven. That's the difference between ascend and assume. But in the Mount of Olives where Jesus was, he'd always been with his disciples walking on his two feet on the ground, and all of a sudden he starts to go up. And they're, you know, they're kind of surprised. They see the bottom of his dirty feet as he goes up into the sky and into a cloud. I like to remind people that when Jesus was going up, he didn't stop and say, oh, and by the way, guys, don't forget to read my book, (laughs) because there was no book. He didn't tell them about any book. He never even, as we're reading the messages in the gospel, never does he does there a mention that there's going to become a book that will even supersede or at least complement the Old Testament, but there's going to become a new book? Jesus never mentions that. Jesus never writes anything down. And so here we don't, we don't see Jesus yelling, don't forget to read my book. And I remind my pilgrims when we're standing there, when Jesus went up into heaven and ascended back to his throne next on the right hand of his Father, what did he leave behind? He didn't leave a book. What did he leave behind? He left 12 men, the first magisterium of the church, the first bishop, so to speak. He left 12 men, and one of them was carrying the keys of the kingdom. And this is the church, is the kingdom of God. It's what Jesus left behind. He left his kingdom here that's going to develop and grow, and he left 12 men, the first magisterium. That's what he left behind, not a book. I thought Jesus forgot. I thought thought Jesus said he was going to bring a kingdom, and then he forgot and just left behind a church. Are you saying well, that, the church is that, the kingdom? Are you saying that the That's same a, thing? Because all the way you read through the Gospels, it's uh, my kingdom, my kingdom. And in the Jewish way of thinking, the keys of the kingdom belong to the king. The king, whoever is in charge of a kingdom, has the keys. And they're not the kind you can take up to Kmart and get reproduced or have copies made. They're one set of keys, period. And the king, Jesus the king, is delegating those to his royal steward, the one who's going to be in charge of his kingdom on the earth. And the kingdom is the church, because he said, I will build my church. So Jesus left 12 men in charge of his new kingdom, which subsists in the Catholic church. And those 12 men went out and began to teach. And what they taught became the apostolic tradition. It still wasn't written down. It was a teaching. It was a practice. What they did at Sunday morning at the altar became part of the tradition. What they said and taught became part of the tradition. 
that tradition then over the centuries, part of it got written down, 27 books got written down, and the church 400 years later determined that these 27 books, which were among over 300 books altogether, but these 27 are the New Testament, and they, in a sense, created something new, a new book. And that new book was known because of the authority of the church as the inspired scriptures. It was the church that said that. It wasn't God who said it. It wasn't some uh, decree from an angel. It was the Catholic Church that determined these 27 books were inspired and therefore authoritative. Yeah, How could you, know, you not be a Catholic? But you keep you say, using that dirty word, tradition, you know. Oh, uh, by the way, I'm playing, I'm playing the devil's advocate here, by the way. You know, you know I'm just... Yeah, sorry, but, but you know, um, you know, that you can't use that word tradition. Paul said we should be aware of the traditions of men, but people don't realize, he was speaking about uh, some of the strange philosophies that are around in those days, not about what... what and, it was, you know, yeah, yeah, Jesus, he said yeah. to the Jewish, who had all of these traditions which nullified the word of God. They had created traditions traditions that lined their pockets, so to speak. And Jesus said that you follow the traditions of men, and because of those traditions of men, you nullify the Word of God. So as an evangelical Protestant, guess what? I thought all tradition was bad. It was the naughty T word, and the Catholics, they have tradition. Therefore, I could never be a Catholic, and i got to get those people saved, because they're following the traditions of men and not the Word of God. Well, boy, did I find out differently, because you know when you read the writings of Paul, Second Thessalonians 2.15, he said, hold fast to the traditions that I left you, whether in writing or by word of mouth. Hold fast to those traditions that I left you. Paul says in First uh, Corinthians 11, verse 2, I commend you for holding to the traditions that I gave you. And, he, and on and on, I can continue to produce these verses. Tradition was not a bad word. The traditions of Christ that came through the apostles is the word of God. The tradition of the Pharisees was the traditions of men. So yes, tradition can be bad if it's the traditions of men which subvert the word of God, but traditions are good if they are the traditions of God and they uh, end up promoting the kingdom of God. I I say this way, uh, Bear, that tradition is like a hammer. A hammer can be used for good. I can build a house with it. A hammer can also be used for a bad thing. I can hit somebody in the head and crush their skull with it. So a hammer is neutral. It's neither good nor bad. It can be, it's how it's used. It can be used for a good thing. A hammer can be used for a bad thing. Tradition is the same way. It is neutral. It's neither good nor bad. It's how you use it. And the word tradition is the Greek word paradosis. It just means something that you hand on, something that you pass on. For example, I'll bet you that when you were growing up, you heard this. Happy birthday to you, Bear. Happy birthday to you. Everybody I, hears I ne- that I never heard it sung going. that badly, though. <laughs> well, I do say that I'm not a singer, and if I tried singing at a conference, people would get up and leave. But see, that, that song is a tradition. It's, it's a good thing. It's handed on from one generation to another. That's all that a tradition is, something that is handed down from one generation to another. And we happen to have the teaching and practice of the apostles that have been handed down through the church, and they're good tradition, and we're bound by that. And there's nothing in the tradition that that is contrary to Scripture. In fact, a lot of tradition is helping us uh, illuminate and interpret Scripture. But you know what, Stephen, this is your big problem. 
is that everybody knows the Bible's really easy to understand, and you don't need anybody to interpret it. Uh, um, you know that that's that's what the scripture is so simple, so easy to to comprehend. So you don't need anybody to interpret. You know, I always thought like this is the way I was taught. You know, after I, I, received, yeah. I had this personal encounter with Jesus, that you know, um, Jesus came, and then this book kind of fell out of the sky, and then yeah. did, and then nothing happened for fifteen hundred years until finally someone came along and said, "Well, you don't need that book. You don't need that book, and uh, we'll cut out parts here and there." And uh, the Bible's so easy to interpret, but uh, suddenly um, that group of men uh, fractured almost immediately. So when we get back uh, from this break. Stephen Ray, uh, our co-adventure guide, is going to explain to us uh, really uh, why it's so important to have a teaching authority and someone there to help us uh, interpret scripture. Stephen, what what website can people find you at? I'm at catholicconvert.com. Very easy to remember. I converted to the Catholic Church, so I'm at catholicconvert.com. And on my website, I have hundreds of documents that people can use, letters I've written to Baptist pastors arguing with them, a lot of Bible study material, and all of our pilgrimages. We take pilgrimages to the Holy Land and to Rome and to Lourdes and Fatima. We have a pilgrimage coming up in Rome uh, in March of this year, a few seats left. A lot of different trips. Check it out, catholicconvert.com. We're going to be right back with our adventure guide, Stephen Ray. Deep Adventure Radio, the bold standard in radio. EWTN is now on Twitter. Get short, timely messages from EWTN on your computer or cell phone. It's easy to stay up to date on a wide variety of topics. Pro-life news, Vatican announcements, catechesis, apologetics, the latest EWTN programming, and more. You can link to EWTN on Twitter from our homepage or go to twitter.com slash EWTN. At work, at home, at school, and on the road. Stay connected to your world with EWTN's Twitter page. To help you get more from the Global Catholic Network, EWTN offers a monthly program guide completely free of charge. This handy schedule tells you where to look for your favorite Catholic programs. For your free guide, write to EWTN Program Guide, Irondale, Alabama, 35210. The young people are the future of the church, and right here they are also the present. Let your faith catch on fire as you get to know the young guests who stand up firm for their faith on the Rock of Christ, forever young. On the next Life on the Rock, only on EWTN. Life on the Rock is seen and heard around the world on EWTN. For dates and times in your area, log on to EWTN.com. I'm Brian Patrick, and here at EWTN News Nightly, we're very much aware our world is changing rapidly. The news can be so troubling, but it helps to get it in the context of Catholic teaching. That's why I encourage you to watch EWTN News Nightly and to subscribe to the print edition of the National Catholic Register. Always faithful, in-depth coverage of crucial issues like religious freedom, the sanctity of all human life, traditional marriage, and Pope Francis, his travels, his powerful homilies, and great features like one of my favorites on St. Joseph, provider and protector. Subscribe to the print edition of the National Catholic Register and watch EWTN News Nightly, the perfect combination for faithful Catholics who want the news, who want the truth. For a free three-issue trial of the National Catholic Register, Go to EWTN.com and click on the banner for the register or call 800-421-3230 for your three free issues. Deep Virtue with Bear Wozniak.
Aloha, this is Bear Wozniak coming to you from Waikiki Beach with another Deep Virtue segment. Uh, you can go to our website, deepadventure.com, and you can find out when we're doing our tandem surfing exhibitions or where we might be speaking. Also, all of our archived radio shows and Deep Adventure segments and books and things like that are available there for you. So be sure and go to our website and check that out. You know, here in Hawaii, we have beautiful mountains. Like looking at my house right now, I'm looking towards the Ko'olau Range. It's a range uh, used to, of course, it was a volcano. And it is a real difficult thing to hike to the top of that mountain. Uh, as you start to hike, eventually you're using ropes and it's kind of slippery and usually kind of get muddy. But when you get to the top of that range, the view looking towards the east is just you know phenomenal. It's just beautiful. And then you turn around and look out towards a Diamond Head and it's just so beautiful. When my sons were young, I used to take them up to the mountains. A lot of times we did it at night because, uh, you know, I was training them in the in the ninja art. I was a ninja black belt, and they were being trained to become uh, ninja, ninjas too. And we'd go up to the mountains a lot of times at night, and we'd get up to the top of Boney Ridge. This was in Southern California by Thousand Oaks. And we would look down, and we'd see these just amazing views. We'd love to go up there, especially on the night before the full moon because the sun would be setting as the moon was rising. And we would see these majestic views. But it took a little bit of effort. It takes work. It took, you know, a good hour or more to get to the top of both these hikes I've described. But when you get there, you're pretty much alone. No one else is taking their time. You look down below, everyone else is in their houses, but you're up above and experiencing something beautiful. This is the same thing with the call to prayer. Set yourself aside. Set time aside. Go away to a remote place. Get away. I go down to the beach every night. But spend time. You won't get the views and the perspectives of the beauty of life unless you spend time alone um, with the mountain of the Lord. So this is Bear Wozniak with another Deep Virtue segment. Aloha. Deep Virtue with Bear Wozniak. Find out more at deepadventure.com. Back to Deep Adventure Radio with Bear Wozniak. Suffering in paradise for you. Aloha and welcome back to Deep Adventure Radio. I'm with a mystery guest, or at least uh, he's someone who's helped explain uh, mysteries to me. His name is Stephen Ray, and he helped me with his book, Crossing the Tiber, to understand... uh, the, what the primitive and the early church uh, taught, what they looked like, what they believed in, and how what they practiced. And by that, it, I was able to come back to uh, the Catholic Church. It's just like he, he removed a cloud from my head. I had thought that the Bible had been invented in the second century or something, and then and then uh, that was all. There was no nothing to read, no writings or anything, until finally somewhere around the year 1500, somebody got it right. Um, Martin Luther got it right. But, uh, Stephen Ray, there's something I need to confess to you before we go to this next section, and that is that, um, you know, although I was raised a Catholic, I did go to Baylor University, and so I have to say, you know, it is Baylor University is the Baptist University, am I right? Is it kind of like the Notre Dame, isn't it, of Baptists? I think it's well regarded, yes. Well, so I have to say a sick bears for all the Baylor fans out there. So, uh, yeah, no, and I, I loved, um, Stephen, when I went to, to Baylor, I, I saw for the first time uh, people that had a personal relationship with Jesus, and I had longed for that, but I just thought it was like, just kind of like, how can you get from here to there? It just seemed like like I, I, a malaise, like I couldn't get through that, but I knew all my, my best friends were all Christians, and I remember they were probably really praying for me, and then one summer, I had a personal encounter with Jesus, and when they came back from summer break, they were like, what happened to you? So, and I got deep. I got to go deep in Scripture. Uh, you know, I, I took my uh, uh, Bible classes there and stuff. And I just so I really love um, our Baptist brothers and sisters. I, but I'm just uh, I feel like 
I feel like one of the things I say is that we, I feel like sometimes people are missing out because they don't have the fullness of faith. Yep. Uh, but, but I feel the same way. If, if I can just jump in, but I, I agree with you. I was, I was born and raised a Baptist, and I have nothing but love and respect and gratitude to my parents for raising me to be a Baptist. They taught me what it was to live a holy life. They taught me to love Scripture. They taught me all the old hymns. We never missed church. It helped me as a boy... Uh, guiding my way through the pitfalls of life that I could have fallen into. And so I I'm, I'm love that. But my love for my parents and the Baptist faith has now continued to be a great love because I feel sorry for those who are in the Baptist Church and in these other Protestant sects, S-E-C-T-S, these groups, because they don't have the fullness of the faith. And so my love for Baptists and for all of those Protestants and so on who have been some way lied to or deceived about the Catholic Church, my great love for them is to help them come back to the fullness of the faith. That's such a beautiful way of saying it, the fullness of the faith. But getting back to this, the Bible, you know, I, I'm a, people say I go to a Bible-believing church, you know, and yet in the Catholic Church, when you go to Mass, almost all of the words that are shared there are are. are Hold out of scripture. And you know, we read from the Old Testament and, and we read from Psalms and we read an epistle and we read the gospel. And when the gospel is read, we all stand up. I hear more scripture in a, in a Catholic Mass than I would hear at some of the non denominational churches in a month. I mean, we, You're correct. We, yeah. And I, I've heard of statistics where they have actually taken an hour Mass and an hour of an average Baptist service and there's more scripture quoted, read, recited in a Catholic. Mass than there is in a Baptist church. And unfortunately, in the Baptist church, a lot of times the scripture is relegated to the preaching of the, of the, of the sermon by the uh, pastor. And in the Catholic church, we read a whole section of the Old Testament. We read a section of the epistles. We read a section of the gospels in context. And over three years, we're reading a good big chunk of the whole Bible. In a Protestant church, you don't do that. There's not the reading of scripture. What you do is sit and then for maybe Maybe 40 minutes out of an hour, the preacher preaches, and he flips back and forth in the Bible. Now, follow, we're going to look up this verse and that verse, and it's mostly taken out of context. It's mostly being only his. And um, you really don't get Scripture like you do in a Catholic church. The beauty of the Scripture that's read, too, at Mass is like, it's, it's so Beautiful, like you're looking at a tapestry when the, the, the Old Testament passage that they're bringing out is, is nuanced through the epistle and in the gospel. It's just all beautifully, it just it, it's almost, it gives it a three-dimensional feeling of what, a sense of what these scriptures are saying. And there's a lot of scriptures read that you would never hear in a, in a Protestant church just because right. there's certain books that just people never get around to reading, you know? It just, yep. So, so that's exactly correct. That's exactly correct. And it doesn't. And the nice thing about the Catholic Church too is it's not up to the pastor to decide what he wants to preach on. If there's a difficult verse, he kind of will skip over that one, and he doesn't want to look at the Book of James because it says that we're saved by works and not by faith alone. So they skip that book. But in the Catholic Church, it's forced upon us. We we we, we the priest has to deal with the passage that comes up because he doesn't get to choose what passage he's reading. We're looking at the whole of Scripture. And what you said is also. So true. I love in the Mass how the Old Testament and the New Testament readings correspond with each other, showing that these are two lungs.
tongues, so to speak, in a body. They are two equal parts of a book, and they are, they're interacting back and forth, like they're singing back and forth to each other, and it's really quite a beautiful thing, is what we do in the Catholic Church with Scripture. And people forget that for you know, hundreds and hundreds of years, to have a book is, was very rare. And so uh, Scripture was read from the pulpit, not because people were restricted from reading the Bible. It's just that who, they had to be handwritten, meticulously written. And, uh, and then uh, later on, um, when the printing press and those things came out, there were some abuses of, of interpreting Scripture. So we're, the church is trying to be very careful in, in protecting people from false teaching. But I really do think that Catholics know more Scripture than, than most, most Protestants. It's just they don't, they don't have necessarily always hold that that book. If you read, the, if you do the liturgy of the hours each day, and you go to, and you read the readings from Mass each day, in a few years you pretty much have a full scope of of, of scripture. I agree, and I, I, this is the way I like to to bring it out with people. Catholics know a lot more scripture than they give themselves credit for. This is why. If I start a verse and say, "You are Peter." Any Catholic can finish that verse, and on this rock I'll build my church. Or, the Spirit is willing, the Catholic will say, but the flesh is weak. Catholics know the Bible quite well, actually. If you, if you actually bring it to that point of starting a verse, they'll finish it. The problem is, Bear, they don't know where to find it in the Bible. See, we as, when I was a Baptist, this is how we memorized a verse. John 3.16, For God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son, whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. John 3.16, That word, therefore, we always knew where to find it. It made it look like we really knew the Bible well. We only maybe had 10 verses memorized, or 15, but we knew where to find them, and it made it look like we really knew what we were talking about. Whereas the Catholic knows a lot of Scripture because they've heard it read to them, but they don't know where to find it. Well, let's, let's get into this now. This is the thing that, this is where it seemed like the, 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 the train went off the rails. When Martin Luther railed against the Catholic Church, um, he said, he and his, his, his uh, cohorts said that Scripture is very easy to interpret and everyone can easily uh, be instructed by the Holy Spirit to understand it. And yet w- one of his uh, best friends within just a, a couple of years uh, schismed with him because he had a different interpretation. Now we see over f- how many different denominations are there out there, all because they're interpreting Scripture differently. How, why do we need a teaching authority, Stephen? That's what I'm getting at. Because that's the way God set his church up to be. He intended it to have a teaching authority, which is why he didn't leave us a book. He left us a magisterium, teachers, because the word magisterium is just a big, scary theological word to us, but it really just means an office of teachers. It's like a teacher in a class or a father in a home. The word magisterium means someone who teaches. That's what Jesus left us before he ever left us a book or gave us a book. And the teaching office is important because it interprets something. It's like the Bible does not just, uh, is supposed to be thrown out there for anybody to read and interpret any way they want to. That, that The book was meant to be read in the heart of the family. It's a family heirloom. You read the book in the heart of the family, and the papa interprets it and tells the children what it means. And as that then the next those children grow up they explain it to their children what it means and they have the book they have the tradition that they're using and they have the teaching authority which is the papa but today uh, you know in 1980 i think it 
was. um, I have the set here. It's a two-volume set called the Oxford University Dictionary of World Christianity. I know it's a pretty big, multi title there, but it said that there are 33,000 different Protestant denominations, and what that means is that there are more groups growing and growing, and they're splitting off and starting their own group, and the whole idea of Jesus saying that I will build my church, and I want that the, the visible unity, I pray that all of you will be one in a visible unity so that the world may know that the Father sent the Son is kind of thrown right out the window because now in this time there's probably 40,000 different denominations and nobody, they're all claiming to have the right teaching, they're all claiming to have the right way of doing things, that they have the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit is interpreting it for them so they know they're right, but the next group says no, the Holy Spirit's interpreting it for us and we're, we, you're wrong so doesn't it look like maybe the Holy Spirit's very confused? Yeah, Jesus he doesn't not, know Jesus what he's doing a, anymore? Well, Jesus is a That's copy. not the case, what's problem is, is that these groups broke away from their teacher, which was the magisterium. It was the Pope that God had given Peter the keys of the kingdom, and he was supposed to teach and tend the lambs to be the shepherd of the sheep. He was to have the keys of the kingdom. It was his job to teach and interpret him and his successors and the bishops. Sheep walked away from the shepherd and started their own little flocks of sheep all over, and that's where the confusion comes from. That's why we have so many denominations, and it all started with Martin Luther. Well, we got to take a break here. You know, Jesus said, I will build my church. He was a carpenter. You know, I think it's kind of <laughs> Good point. So uh, we're, listening, we're talking to Stephen Ray, one of my heroes. Uh, he's had a real impact on my life. Uh, we'll be right back. This is Bear Wozniak with more Deep Adventure Radio. International Deep Adventure Radio. All across the nation, people are tuning in to truth on the EWTN radio network. Even though I am a Southern Baptist, I love my local Catholic radio station, and I recommend it to all my friends, Catholic and non-Catholic. Since I joined the church a decade ago, access to Catholic radio has been a must for me and my family. To have EWTN broadcasting locally with such faith-filled and wholesome programs to find out more, go to EWTN.com slash radio. Are people challenging your faith? Do you wish you knew how to explain it better? Well, then tune in to hear Father Mitch Pacwa and his guests setting the record straight on all matters faith and reason. Next time on EWTN Live, only on EWTN. EWTN Live with Father Mitch Pacwa is seen and heard around the world. For dates and times in your area, log on to EWTN.com. Now, back to Paradise and Deep Adventure Radio. Aloha and welcome back to Deep Adventure Radio. I'm your adventure guide, Bear Wozniak. Today we have with us as our co-adventure guide, Stephen Ray, who's an expert on the early church fathers. You know, I, I used to uh, look at belt, Black Belt magazines before I, when I first started training. And, um, you know, they, they would ha- there would be some still shots and then some writings about how to do these different moves. And it was very unclear until I got around a master who taught me and put me through the paces and, and, and taught me to actually go through those motions. 
I think in some ways scriptures can be like that for, for especially for uh, white belt Christians, you know, newly baptized Christians. We read their scriptures. We really don't know how to understand them. They're like a, a still shot or, or something that we don't really see how it, how it really is supposed to function in the real world. We need um, a teacher to come and show us this is how this is interpreted. This is how this is, uh, how you, how this is worked out in your life. And, uh, the, the, and Jesus provided that teaching authority for us. And uh, Stephen Ray is talking to us about uh, why the, the church is in such schism now. There's a probably, I've heard over 50,000 different Protestant churches now. That's correct. Yep. There are a lot of different Protestant churches out there, and there's a lot of confusion, which is another reason that I wanted to find the real church where the truth was, where I could be part of the church Jesus founded, not one of the many, many, many different sects that are out there claiming to be the truth. Well, what, when, what was it that happened in the first, let's say, 20 years after Martin Luther, um, uh, after that schism? What was, the, what was the fracturing that took place right there? Well, it, it's very interesting. I wrote a book called Crossing the Tiber. It's my conversion story, and it's through Ignatius Presser on my website. Crossing the Tiber means I crossed the, the main river in Rome and came to St. Peter's. And in that book, I talk a lot about Martin Luther, and I talk a lot about um, the whole schism that he brought about. Martin Luther had he had arguments with the Catholic Church's theology. In other words, he set himself apart from 1,500 years of theologians and philosophers and biblical scholars and the fathers of the church. And he said, I am Martin Luther. I'm Dr. Luther, and I know better than the rest of them. And he started, broke away, and he started a new thing. And he said that every plowboy and servant girl can now open the and interpret it for themselves. So what, that's exactly what people did. Martin Luther set himself up as the leader of this new group that was out there, kind of called the Reformation. We're going to reform Christianity. But pretty soon, because of his own teaching that you could read and interpret the Bible for yourself, everybody started doing that. And before he knew it, people were arguing with him and leaving his group and doing what they wanted to do. And towards the end of his life, Martin Luther said, they're now are as many theologies as there are heads. One man denies this, another accepts it. One reads this, another accepts it. Everybody thinks they've swallowed the Holy Spirit feathers and all. And towards the end of his life, I think he was very discouraged because he saw the direction this was going. The Anabaptists broke off and went their own way. And he even said, go out and kill them all to the German government and let their blood be on my hands. And the Calvin, John Calvin, took off and went in another direction. And Zwingli went off in another direction. And Bucer and Farrell and all these different reformers went off in their own direction. Twenty years after Martin Luther nailed the 95 Thesis on the door of the Wittenberg Church, there was already groups breaking away and leaving him and going out in other directions. And they had a council in Marburg. And by the way, Bear, next year, in 2017, I'm taking a, a group, a tour of Germany, and we're going to follow the Protestant Reformation because it'll be 500 years from that time. We're going to actually go to all the places of Martin Luther, and we're going to study the Protestant Reformation on the ground, on location, and prove the truth of, of, of Catholicism. But that's what happened. Martin Luther had all these different groups that came together at Marburg 20 years after it all started. And they left saying, you're not my brother. All the reformers walked away. They said, I refuse to shake your hand. You're no longer a brother of mine. And they all went off in their different directions. And now we have 40,000 different Protestant denominations. 
And, and so really, um, we, love our, we love Scripture, but what Jesus left behind was a kingdom. And those early apostles and their traditions began to be written down, uh, some written and some just carried, carried forth uh, the Gospels and the writings of the, the epistles uh, and things like that. But Jesus left behind people, not just a book. But we need people to help understand that. Exactly. I'm having a hard time hearing you, but I, do, I did hear you say Jesus did not leave behind a book or any... He didn't even leave behind an organization. He didn't leave anything behind. He left 12 men. You know, I ran a business fair. I had my own business. I had 600 employees, and I know what it's like to set up a management team to have managers and staff who are going to run it for you. I would never have chosen these guys, fishermen, who were uneducated, not knowledgeable of all of these theological and historical things. But Jesus chose these 12 guys because he knew he was going to send the Holy Spirit upon them, and those 12 guys started the church. Jesus used them, and they went out and taught, the, the, taught and preached, and that is what the, how the church got started. It wasn't by just a book falling down from heaven like you mentioned a few minutes ago. Yeah, it was, uh, you know, scripture, scriptures were developed uh, through them and through their ministry. But it's kind of like, I think, I think Jesus is really call, you know, beckoning us to, um, to this personal walk with him. You know, um, it, it, it's just so curious for me to see how the early church evolved. The, Jesus didn't say, hey, this is the doctrine of the Trinity, and this is the doctrine of transubstantiation, and this is the doctrine of that. He, uh, left, that, he, he left that in our trust, and, and gradually through just... Working it, working it out, and thinking it through. Um, you know, the, the scriptures were developed, and the interpretation of those scriptures were developed. So we need- exactly. He, he, that's the whole point that I'd like to make. People today, Protestants, say, "Well, we don't need the church." And, and I say, "Well, do you believe in the Trinity?" Yeah, we believe in the Trinity. I said, "Show me that word in the Bible. Where's the word Trinity used in the Bible?" Well, the word Trinity is not there. How did you come to this understanding of the Trinity? Well, we read this verse and that verse and that verse. I said, "No, no, that's not how you come to understand the Trinity." You came to understand the Trinity because the councils of the Catholic Church in the first 500 years of the Church, there were heresies running rampant, and the early councils and the bishops and the popes of the early Church, they hammered out the doctrine of the Trinity with hammer and nail in a sense and fighting and everything, and they came to that conclusion. And you, whether you realize it or not, you're piggybacking off the Catholic Church's 400, 500 years of history of de- developing these doctrines. You did not come to the doctrine of the Trinity on your own. You came to them because the Catholic Church had already defined it 2,000 years ago. And the other thing is, um, we're about to break away here, speaking about tradition. To me, tradition is, is a big part of it is how to interpret Scripture and, and just the discipline of how we live our life as Catholics. But every church I've ever been to has tradition. I mean, they start with music and <laughs> You're right. sermon, and I guarantee you they don't forget the tradition of, of the collection plate. So there's tradition everywhere. I mean, at Baylor, uh, there, there was no dancing or drinking allowed, you know, anywhere near campus. I mean, these are all traditions. Um, there, there's a, there's, it's a, you, people develop traditions. Uh, six of us get together, go surfing. I guarantee you we have a tradition of going out for, for breakfast afterwards. You know, it's just that's yep. just the name. The na- but but the question is, what traditions are we going to follow? We're talking right. with Stephen Ray, and I just want to encourage people. His book, Crossing the Tiber, was written to his father to help ex- under- help his father understand who his father was such a beautiful Christian, Baptist uh, Christian, why he had become a Catholic. And I recommend that book, and also that you go to his website. You got 15 seconds to tell him how to find you, Stephen. Catholic. Convert.com. Easy to remember because I'm a Catholic convert. CatholicConvert.com. All kinds of good stuff there for you. Daily blog, our pilgrimages. 
God bless you all. And if you're not interested in becoming Catholic, that's great. How about becoming interested in understanding what we really believe? Because everyone says this is what Catholic believes, and isn't that horrible? And I would say 99% of that is misrepresentative. So yes. uh, in the interest of Christian unity, uh, that maybe that alone is a good reason for you to explore his website. I'm your adventure guide, Bear Wozniak. We're not done yet. We'll be right back with more Deep Adventure Radio. Surf's up. Real and radical ways to live your faith. This is Daniel the Boon Markham with this episode, Chivalry. One of my seven daughters recently commented with some surprise how pleased she was with her new suitor because he gave her respect, gentleness, and manners. Even though this was only her second suitor, I was struck by the fact she hadn't evidently experienced chivalry from a young man before. His chivalry, well, it lifted her up. Yet chivalry is nearly a lost art. Read a summy card that said, quote, Chivalry isn't dead, it just fell asleep on the couch with beer and the TV blaring. End of quote. Well, in some circles that is truer than we would like to admit. Years ago I was at a conference with some feminist friends who were might disappointed in me when I opened the door for them. My response, well, ladies, my mama learnt me to respect women in such ways, and my mama is still speaking to me from heaven. It's just the way it is. As a young lad, I clearly remember my mama saying as we were walking to the local hardware store, Daniel, always remember to walk a woman with you between her and the street. Yes, mama. Songwriter Trevor Wesley repeated my mama experience in his song Chivalry is Dead, writing, But I'm not a kid no more, so I must open doors and make you feel like the lady you are. My mama raised me to be classy, not flashy. I'm happy to please you, though I can tell that's not what you're used to. Men, being a gentleman is a choice. It's not a given. You work at it. And it's far more than taking out the trash or opening a door. Man up and treat women always with kindness and care, nurturing their womanhood with respect. They will respect you in return and make you feel like a real man. Nothing wrong with chivalry and everything good about respect. This is Daniel Boone Markham at DanielDeBooneMarkham.com on a journey a few miles this side of here. Surf's up. Go deep or go home. Aloha and welcome back to Deep Adventure Radio. I'm your adventure guide, Bear Wozniak. You know, sometimes you make a big mistake. You know, you might call Jesus Savior. Uh, you might say, I love you, Jesus. But don't ever say, I love you, Lord. That is a big mistake because he's going to take you at your word. Sometimes I feel like I'm I'm a running back and Jesus is a linebacker and he's just tackling me and punching that football loose that he knows I'm clinging to attachments that that are going to rob me of the of the great uh wonder of adventure that he has for me. Maybe I'm clinging to my own agendas that I want for my children instead of what he wants for them. Maybe I'm clinging to uh, the next promotion or the new boat or the uh, glory of men. Jesus knows that's not his perfect will for me. That's not the wild adventure that he has in store for me. And I made the mistake of saying, oh, Lord, I love you. So he's after me. He's going to tackle me. He's going to break that those things I cling to and teach me to cling only to him. Hey, go to our website, deepadventure.com. Uh, subscribe to our newsletters. Invite us to come speak to your groups, men's or women's. And um, Subscribe to our newsletter so we can invite you to our, no, our next Deep Adventure quest. Until next time, I'm your adventure guide, Bear Wozniak. Invite yourself 
through Jesus to go into the wildest adventure you can have and follow his will. May the breath of the Holy Spirit aloha you. Aloha. This is Deep Adventure Radio. Hear archived shows, buy Bear's book, Deep in the Wave, A Surfing Guide to the Soul, and sign up for our Wave of the Week email at deepadventure.com. For the latest news on Bear and Deep Adventure, visit us on Facebook and share Deep Adventure with your friends. The most radical thing you can do in life is abandon yourself to the wild adventure of God's will. Deep Adventure Radio.